Today on Reparations in Action. The U.S. hated the Soviet Union more than Nazi Germany. And Absolutely. that is truly, truly a fact. Yep. You're listening to Reparations in Action. Uhuru. You're listening to the Reparations in Action podcast and FM radio show, The White Lies Shattered series. My name is Jamie Simpson, and I am the host of Reparations in Action, which broadcasts weekly on Black Power 96.3 FM in St. Petersburg, Florida, WBPULP St. Petersburg. Reparations in Action is a program of white solidarity with Black Power. Currently, we are in a podcast series exposing the insidious lies we learn as white or European people about the nature and origin of America and the current social system. We believe reparations to African people is the key question of our times and is one that demands action on the part of European or white people. As always, we'd like to salute Black Power 96, where this show is aired and recorded for our podcast weekly. This week, we are doing a part two of The Truth About Russia and Ukraine, an episode that continues the discussion of the situation of the U.S. and NATO assaults on Russia and the slander of Russia around the question of Ukraine. And we are welcoming back Penny Hess, chairwoman of the African People's Solidarity Committee, and Jesse Neville, chair of the Uhuru Solidarity Movement. Uhuru, and welcome back, Jesse and Penny. Uhuru, Jamie and Jesse, it's great to be here today. Uhuru, Uhuru Chairwoman Penny and Uhuru Jamie. Uhuru, comrades. So let's dive right into this question of uh, the, the ongoing propaganda that we're hearing around Russia from, from the U.S. right now. Chairwoman Penny, can you start us off with our discussion in the, around the situation with Russia and Ukraine? Yes, thank you, Jamie. And I, I just really want to start by saying that that we understand that the current situation of this war going on in Ukraine is something that is really reconfiguring the world as we know it. it there's no way that things are going to be the same after that. And, you know, of course, we want to salute Chairman Omalia Shatella, who has defined the situation brilliantly, as always, through the political understandings of African internationalism that sees the world through the eyes of the African working class. And very, very exciting. And, and this concept, this very, really interesting and profound concept called the colonial mode of production that the chairman has been explaining and I, I really want to ask anybody that's listening today to go to the Burning Sphere TV on YouTube and see Chairman O'Malley Chatella's studies and webinars, not only on, on the Russia situation, but on everything that's there, incredible body of work on, on that channel. But this war that, that we're watching on the media and seeing in the newspaper you know, just all over social media every day is a war of aggression by the U.S. against Russia. And we know that the United States and Western Europe are the enemies of the colonized and oppressed peoples of this planet. And all we are getting right now is just a mass of disinformation, lies, 
anti-Russia narrative to the nth degree, mm -hmm. and it is impossible to know exactly what is going on, but we do know that the U.S. is funding and arming proxy forces, and we are going to be discussing that today along with some of the history of what the U.S. and Europe have done to Russia and the former Soviet Union within the last century alone. Oh, for real. For Chairman Penny, uh, I appreciate you know being able to continue this important discussion about the situation in Russia and Ukraine from the point of view of African internationalism and the, the understandings of Chairman Omalia Shatella. And just want to really agree with what you were just saying about the disinformation campaign that the U.S. imperialist ruling class media is involved in right now. That it is in full effect, and it it's an overwhelming onslaught of lies and disinformation and slander nonstop, constantly, uh, every single day. And that's why I was so appreciative that Chairman Amalia Shatella has, for the last two weeks at least, held his weekly Sunday study, Omali Taught Me, which he holds on Facebook and YouTube, with uh, the question of Russia and Ukraine in the center of the discussion. And in particular, this past Sunday, he had on a guest by the name of Alexander Ionov, who's the president of the Anti-Globalization Movement of Russia, an organization which in the past few years has actually invited and warmly welcomed and hosted Chairman Amali Shatella as a speaker at uh, conferences held in Moscow, including the Dialogue of Nations and the Right to Self-Determination. And yesterday, when, he, when Alexander Ionov was on Chairman Amalia Shatella's study, he addressed the uh, the campaign of lies uh, that the U.S. And, and, and imperialist media are involved in and, and the way that it's designed to really tug at your heartstrings and get you to uh, unite with this whole port, you know, portrayal of the Russians as being these uh, tyrannical aggressors. And for example, there's this, this uh, imagery and um, reporting that has gone viral about this so-called maternity hospital that Russia has been accused of bombing. And what Alexander Ionov uh, laid out and exposed when he was on the chairman's study yesterday is that this building that was referred to as a maternity hospital has actually not been in use as a hospital for years now. It was taken over and has been used as a base by the Ukrainian military and the Azov Battalion, which is the so-called neo-Nazi paramilitary organization that works with the Ukrainian military for years, if not longer. So it was, it was great to have mm -hmm. some insight into what's actually going on in, in Russia and Ukraine. It was great. And as always, Chairman Omali Shatella is so brilliant in just exposing the truth and the world as it really is. Alexander's statement was very powerful mm -hmm. and is a statement of solidarity with the liberation of African people mm -hmm. and also pointing out the... Um, scores if not hundreds of African students who've been held hostage mm -hmm. in Ukraine and the way they've been treated has been all over social media. So if you haven't seen that, please check it out. You know, so this is this is part of just a little bit of what we are seeing and that um, it's it's really important to understand that Chairman Omali Shatella has scientifically proven that the United States and Europe and capitalism 
our colonial capitalism mm-hmm. and that capitalism was born, colonialism was born of assault, violence, kidnapping, rape and plunder of Africa and the traffic and selling of human beings. And, you know, they're forced, they're forced labor, they're stolen labor, the violence and just violence again perpetrated against African people both inside the U.S. in Africa, which continues to today in both places or wherever African people have been dispersed around the globe, including Brazil and throughout the Caribbean and, and you know, and, and many other many other places for the purposes of being work machines, of being enslaved human beings that created the wealth, the startup capital of the colonial capital system. And that is what the colonial mode of production is. And also understanding that here in the United States, we live um, at the expense of the genocide of the indigenous people, not just in the United States, that's in the Western hemisphere, because because from Alaska to the tip of Chile, this land has been stolen from indigenous people, as well as uh, all the islands of the Caribbean. So, you know, just this massive land mass that has been stolen from the indigenous people, the wealth, the resources, all of this coming at the expense of the indigenous people. And there wouldn't be an America. There wouldn't be a United States or anything without the enslavement of African people and the genocide of the of the indigenous people. So we have to start looking at this war, as the chairman does, mm-hmm. in that context. Right. Right, exactly. And that context of the colonial mode of production as you pointed out, that the chairman, Chairman Amalia Shetela teaches us, reveals that there is a dialectical relationship between white people and the colonized, which is the majority of the earth. We have a relationship to this as the colonizers within the colonial mode of production. As white people, what we experience, our lifestyle, as the chairman says, our every dream and aspiration requires drone strikes in Pakistan, police murders in the African community, starvation, child labor, suffering, genocide all over the world. So this is this has to be the starting point for any discussion, as you said, Chairwoman Penny, about Russia and Ukraine. And when we talk about what's going on with, with Russia and Ukraine, let's look at the fact that the Obama administration spent five billion dollars to overthrow the democratically elected government of Ukraine in 2014, to replace that government with a U.S. puppet regime with an army dominated by neo-Nazis and eventually bringing in this comedian, Zelensky, who is a complete puppet of U.S. imperialism under complete control of the CIA and MI5 and at the behest and will of of U.S. and European imperialism and NATO, 100%. And the, the concern that the U.S. has about the situation in Russia and Ukraine ultimately has nothing to do even with with Ukraine itself or, or people there, what they're experiencing. It has to do with the U.S. empire, the fact that U.S. imperialism is crumbling. It's in crisis. This is the deepening of what Chairman Omali Shetela has for years been characterizing as the uneasy equilibrium between the, pres- between the past and the future. 
that's what we're looking at right now. Well, you know, it, it's just amazing this incredible anti-Russian mm-hmm. propaganda, this these lies. That it, it's almost laughable. Yeah. Somebody, well, I think Comrade Jamie was just saying that that Italy is banning Dostoevsky. I mean, you know, just the vodka, the, everything mm-hmm. that that the most evil people are supposedly Russians. This right. is this is ridiculous, and it's obviously something that's manufactured in the uh, annals of the CIA mm-hmm. and you know the U.S. U.S. government and military. It's ridiculous and it, it's outrageous, and it's there to. It, it's it's something that the U.S. has always used to vilify its enemy. They vilify the African community every day. So, yeah. So this is the real thing, and I think the thing that we have to understand is again this question of the colonial mode of production, because again, U.S. everything about it. Mm-hmm is based on rape and plunder and enslavement and suffering and degradation and child labor and theft of resources and war and violence. Everything is based on that. White people have participated in it. We've been part of lynching, what's called lynchings and, and just enthusiastic violence and genocide against the indigenous people here and against Filipinos and and Africans and and uh, colonized peoples around the world. Now, Russia was never part of that. Was never part of the enslavement of Africans. Mm-hmm. Never part of the assault on Africa. Never part of the trade in African human beings. And so it is not. It is not a colonial power. And that we have to, you know, get to that. Everything the U.S. does is to maintain this colonial mode of production, to maintain power over the resources, the stolen labor, um, the narrative of this system that exists today at the expense of African, Arab, indigenous, and oppressed peoples around the world. And I think that when we look at everything to do with this war that's going on there, I mean, first of all, here we see, and it's been said really clearly by white people, that this we're seeing blue-eyed, mm-hmm. blonde-haired people, white people, getting bombed. Right. And when is the last time that you, know, you see a day-by-day accounting and pictures of what is happening Generally speaking, when Syria is being bombed, and, and the U.S. was totally part of that, I'm going to talk about that in a second, but, you know, when Africa is is being bombed and exploited every single day, and in Congo, African people and African children are slaughtered by proxy wars to maintain control of Coltan, we don't see anything of that, ever. We don't see what's going on. But all of a sudden... Now that we see Europe and Ukraine is Europe getting bombed um, when the people are, are blonde and blue-eyed, then suddenly we're taking notice and we're outraged. And it's interesting, um, Jesse and Jamie, because this past week, Martin Luther King's daughter, Bernice King, who is the 
coordinator of the King Center in Atlanta made a really powerful statement, a statement certainly, um, you know, that evokes the evocative of Chairman O'Malley Chatella. And it was after the English, um, I don't know, Prince, Duke, whatever, William, who probably will be the king at some point, visited a Ukrainian center in London and made a statement about, oh, this is so unusual for, for Europeans to experience this. I mean, it was, you know, it was really blatant. And, and I think that it's really important because every time we see this king, this queen, this prince, it's never raised that all of the money that they have came from British imperialism and the domination of the majority of Africa, India, and, you know, just a, a, an empire upon which the sun never set. That's why the queen, Queen Elizabeth, is the richest woman in the world because of that. But that's never raised up. And in any case, uh, Martin Luther King's daughter, Bernice King, responded or tweeted that, quote, horrific comment. European people ran roughshod over the continent of Africa, pillaging communities, raping women, enslaving human beings, colonizing for profit and power, stealing resources, causing generational devastation, and European nations continue to harm Africa, unquote. That, wow. was, that was really powerful. Yeah. And I salute her for that profound statement that is absolutely the truth. And so the fact is that the U.S. military, the U.S. state, is bombing somebody somewhere right now, an African person, an Arab or indigenous, the U.S.-backed war in Yemen has killed a quarter million people out of a small population of only 30 million total. It's bombed and starved them to death. And this war has been going on, backed by U.S. money, for seven years. We don't talk about it. We don't see it on TV. We don't, you know, there's no mention of it whatsoever. Wow. You know the, the the hypocrisy is is really profound on the part of of the U.S. of of Britain of of these colonial capitalist entities, and uh, you know I just think it's it's worth also saying that um, the the U.S. has on average dropped uh, I think it's forty six bombs per day on the peoples of the world with its strikes uh, around the world in defense of this colonial system of exploitation and parasitism and genocide. And, you know, on August 3rd, 2019, there was a United Nations report that said that the U.S., the United Kingdom, and France may be complicit in committing war crimes in Yemen by selling weapons and providing support to the Saudi-led coalition, which is using the deliberate starvation of civilians as a tactic of warfare. But that's just, you know, what we're used to. That's, that's standard operating procedure for this system. So Biden made a promise to end this war in Yemen and to stop the funding, but the Brookings Institute noted that he has not done that. But we never talk about this. This doesn't become a rallying point for people to uh, suddenly boycott items the way that they're boycotting uh, Russian vodka right now, or even the works of Dostoevsky in an Italian university, as you alluded to earlier, Chairwoman Penny. The U.S. has a strategic 
interest in uh, in minimizing these conflicts, minimizing things like Iran's position in the Middle East. And uh, just to also note that I think it was just a couple days ago that the AP reported uh, Iran claimed responsibility for a missile barrage of a U.S. consulate in northern Iraq, where uh, Iran says there is uh, an Israeli spy center. And this was in retaliation for the killing of two Revolutionary Guard members, Iranian Revolutionary Guard members in uh, in Syria. So this is an international struggle that has colonialism at the absolute heart of it, and uh, I it's it's something that the U.S. would like to de-emphasize this and and make it seem as though this is something that just started in 2014 in Ukraine. That's right, and even even the whole question of Afghanistan, which is on the Russian border. And that the U.S. was there 20 years. Why? Because it was on the border with Russia. And, of course, the reason why the U.S. is there to begin with is that it covertly overturned or created a proxy force of Islamic fundamentalists, quote-unquote, that um, was created to overturn the most progressive government in um, in the Middle East, which was the Afghan government in the 1970s and 80s. And, you know, just everything. And that's because it was on the border with Russia. That is a key, a key point strategically. And also this question that Palestinian people are still living in camps in Jordan, Lebanon, Syria, and the whole struggle in Syria, which in fact was a U.S. assault to engage Russia again. And the, the U.S. supplied the rebels of the Free Syrian Army with first with food and rations, but then immediately began providing training, money, and intelligence to selected Syrian rebel commanders in these programs, which actually they couldn't really get a lot of support for in the Middle East. And I remember an article that was in the New York Times that said, that they spent millions of dollars and they were planning to train and equip 15,000 rebels to fight the, the ISIS or IS. And it was canceled after spending $500 million, but only it says, it says you're producing only a few dozen fighters. Now I remember it saying four in the New York times that produced four fighters, hmm. but a simultaneous $1 billion covert, program called Timber Sycamore, conducted by the CIA, armed at fighting Syrian president, I'm sorry, aimed at fighting Syrian President Bashar al-Assad, was more successful, but was decimated by Russian bombing. So basically, you know, this was a war, Syria was a war against Russia also. So, you know, the chairman said again that the truth of the matter is that Russians are not white. White people are the invention of colonialism. You can't call the Russians white people because white people were born of the colonial assault on African people and live at the expense of African people and oppressed peoples around the world. That is not true for Russia. And that's why it's vilified, hated, attacked. And the U.S. is trying to force Russia to its knees. Russia is acting in defense of itself and its sovereignty and fighting against U.S. imperialism. 
For real. And just going back to this point of the hypocrisy of all of this outcry against the, uh, you know, supposed um, victimization of of the white people in that part of the world, the people in Ukraine, Um, you know, and and the whole the fact that we're talking about a colonial mode of production and that the colonial a colonial mode of production runs on violence. That's what it, it runs on violence against African and colonized people every single day. It couldn't exist without violence. And if you look at the facts, three African people a day are gunned down by the police, according to statistics. How many African people are being evicted right now as we record this Mm -hmm. podcast? An African person is being locked up as we speak. The U.S. is killing people in Africa with its own forces or more likely with proxy forces, trained, financed, armed by the U.S. government, uh, child laborers in Congo are dying after being forced to mine coltan for our computers. The U.S. is engaged in economic warfare against dozens of countries around the world. Anyone that refuses to just bow down before the U.S. empire will be hit with sanctions, which is another form of warfare, is such as Cuba and Venezuela. And in Africa itself, millions of people live in corrugated tin shacks, with no electricity or clean water or jobs or anything more than a handful of couscous to eat. That is what the colonial mode of production looks like. It's what it means. It's the DNA of the U.S. and all of Europe. And as Jamie just mentioned a second ago, 46 bombs and missiles dropped per day on countries throughout the world by the U.S. government over the past 20 years, totaling over 340,000 bombs or missiles dropped on the on the peoples of the planet earth by u.s imperialism for the past 20 years and not a word of outcry or outrage uh in the bourgeois media especially when you compare it to what we're seeing right now right and that's so true jesse and that you know again russia was not born that way right um russia came about through the Bolshevik Revolution, the successful Bolshevik Revolution of 1917, which put the workers in power. And it came about a victory as a single country. It wasn't able to bring about world socialism Mm -hmm. because the time was not right for that. And the U.S. controlled the world economy, as Chairman O'Malley Shatella has explained it. But I think that the point is that Um, that the U.S. has attacked Russia Mm -hmm. endlessly and that in 1918, a year after the victory of the Bolshevik Revolution, the U.S. sent 13,000 troops into Russia to work with reactionary white Russians. Interesting that they're called that. Um, Of course, the, the socialists and the revolutionaries were the Reds, Mm -hmm. to overturn the revolution. And the U.S. backed, quote, civil war in the USSR lasted from 1917 to 1923, you know, six years. It's very, very long and, and something they had to put their meager resources into because there was nobody that was really helping them or, or giving giving resources to them. So, you know, that was something that, that really rocked that 
early revolution where their goals were to to bring workers to power to to end the near enslavement of Russian peasants on the land and bring about collectives and develop infrastructure and teach people to read and, and build education and schools, which they, they later did, but they weren't able to do that in those first years. They had to just basically put their resources into fighting the U.S. attack. And, you know, I just want to divert a little bit here, but to say that the thing that the chairman, had, Chairman Omali Shatella has raised about um, about this colonial mode of production. It's just, you know, it just really fits together. He was saying it was colonialism that transformed the world into a single economic whole, a single political economy within which slaves and masters were destined to pursue the means of producing and reproducing real life, each at the expense of the other. The material and human resources of Africa have gone to satisfy the requirements of life for Europeans at the expense of African and Africans. The process, the process of Africans producing and reproducing life has not been primarily for Africa and Africans. It has been primarily for Europe and the white world at the expense of African people. The progenitor of world capitalism, the attack on African and Africans along with European assault on Asia, the Americas, rescued Europe and Europeans from an oppressive thousand-year-long disease-ridden, impoverished existence known as feudalism. This was the genesis of the capitalist system as a world economy created on a base of the enslavement of Africans and others. Slavery, genocide, and colonialism are the stuff of which capitalism was born. African enslavement was the first capital in the development of capitalism. The prevailing legal system, culture, religion, and general philosophical outlook or worldview constitute the superstructure of capitalism thus conceived. This superstructure is a natural product and reflection of this economic base of colonial slavery. And I, I just think that is, that is really profound. Yeah. Because it's saying that everything that we understand, everything that we aspire to, everything that that our value system or what we think is good and what we think is evil is is the result of of sitting on the backs of African people and oppressed people. We have to, you know, we have to really internalize that. Even the alienation of white people, even the drug addiction and and the illness and the things that we hate about the society are based on living in a system that is built on the suffering of other people, of Africans, indigenous, Arabs, and people, Asian people. Um, so, you know, this is, this is really important so that the mode of production is everything that we do produce. It's our social wealth, our superstructure. And... You know, I just think that that is really key to understanding what we're talking about. And I just, before I open it up for discussion a little bit here, I want to, I want to really say something about the German genocidal attack mm. on Russia during the Second Imperialist War. And, and I want to use the term 
the Second Imperialist War. That is a, a term of Chairman O'Malley yeah. Shatella. And it's something that, you know, just really makes us understand that, as the chairman said, there were no good guys in this war. Right. That everything was about redividing the world, fighting for, for um, a control you know, a piece of the pie, a piece of Africa that had been carved up in 1884 and 85 in the Berlin Conference that basically uh, where Europeans met in Berlin um, that year and, and and carved up Africa for the benefit of European powers and to create colonial wealth um, for, you know, some countries got like Britain and France were, you know, leaders of world uh, colonial domination, but other places like Germany didn't get as much of that pie, and they were fighting for over this at the expense of African people. So, um, so that's why the chairman calls it the Second Imperialist War. There was nothing good about that war, um, and during this, and you know, there's there's this the story, this history that most white people know nothing about. And that is that, that Hitler's army, the German army attacked and, and really waged genocide against the people, the Russians of the Soviet Union during that war, um, during a large part of that war. And at least 27 million people were killed. 27 million Russians were killed um, by that. And, you know, that was the vast majority of them were civilians, not not in the army. And, you know, so Hitler decided to go into, into the Soviet Union and to attack Leningrad, which is today known as St. Petersburg, and uh, Stalingrad, which is known as Volograd today. And other other parts um, of of Russia, including what is now called Ukraine, or what is now known as a separate country called Ukraine, and it was it was certainly part of of Russia then, and um, that the U.S. just determined that it was not going to play a role in helping Russia or the Soviet Union fight against Hitler. And it basically took over four years of fighting without resources and bitter cold winters and starving populations and an overt plan and stated plan on the part of Germany to kill them, to commit genocide, to get rid of the Russian people. Uh, was was a was a stated aim of a known a well known aim of Germany, but the U.S. was complicit in that because it did not help the Soviet Union. The U.S. hated the Soviet Union more than Nazi Germany, and that's truly truly a fact. Yep, absolutely. I, I really appreciate this history being brought to light. And I mean, talk about white lies shattered, the whole idea of the U.S. coming in and defeating the Nazis. And there's even been Hollywood movies. Yeah, it's complete garbage. And 
I mean, I always learned that growing up. I mean, the images of the Americans swooping in and marching in to liberate, you know, Auschwitz and the concentration camps. In reality, the U.S. sent back ships filled with Jews from Europe who were fleeing Nazi persecution, sent thousands of Jewish people back to Germany where they were exterminated. That's right. And that, I mean, you know, here's this thing that the, that the U.S. was the great savior. No, yeah. it was not. Right. And it had a relationship with Nazi Germany. And oh, certainly yeah. with all of the major corporations mm-hmm. of, of Germany at that time. Um, and, you know, of course, there's the whole question of, of Israel as a place to be the U.S. outpost in the Middle East. And that's a separate discussion. But the fact is that despite starving to death, despite the massive slaughter of the Russian people, the Russian, the, the, the Soviet army, the Red Army kicked the ass of Germany and defeated them soundly and broke the back of Hitler's army. Not the U.S. No. Nothing that the U.S. did. Nope. Yes. Exactly. Was able to do that. So the USSR defeated Germany despite, despite massive toll and the price the Soviets paid. They broke the back of Hitler's plan. The US takes credit for it, swooping into the war at the last minute to defeat Hitler, but it did not lift a finger to help the Soviet Union because it was more opposed to the socialist Russia than it was to Nazi Germany. And that is the reality. The US wanted to see Germany and Russia wipe each other out, but they really didn't want Germany right. to be wiped out. They just wanted to, it to behave. Right. They had no sympathy for for Jewish people whatsoever. Not at all. There were actually many American uh, prominent American industrialists who were great admirers of Adolf Hitler. And Hitler has openly talked about how much he admired the uh, U.S. policy towards Africans and the extermination of the indigenous people. So yeah, the colonial, the colonial genocide inside the US exactly. is what what informed not only not only Hitler but also apartheid yep. of South Africa and you know other other regimes around the world copied what the U.S. has done and continues to do to indigenous and African people. And you know, I, I think it's it's really instructive what, what you're saying about the uh, position that, that Hitler and the Nazis had towards Russia and the Soviet Union at the time and its similarity to the position of the US. Like it's it's worth saying that, that Hitler openly wanted to exterminate the Russian people. It was a genocidal war that they were waging. Something called the, the General Plan Ost or the, the General Plan for the East that would have ordered the murder of over 100 million Russians mm-hmm. alongside other ethnic groups that inhabited the Soviet Union mm-hmm. at the time and, and make it German. And when the, the U.S. was fighting the so-called Cold War, it was well known in intelligence agencies like the CIA that, that many of the intelligence officers were driven by a personal hatred of Russian people, mm-hmm. a desire to murder Russian people. And I'd, I'd just like to say that as someone who grew up as a white person in the United States, I remember all that propaganda. You know, I remember the cartoons, the comedy shows, the myriad ways that Russian people were portrayed as the villain, the enemy, the ultimate evil, certainly for someone who looked white, uh, the ultimate evil that that you could be. 
and just just how how deeply ingrained that idea is on the one hand and on the other hand the notion that the u.s is the good guy right the u.s is mm-hmm. the liberator and of course you know the the u.s brought to the u.s there, there was a cia term for it which i can't Operation something. Paperclip. Paperclip, yes. Mm-hmm. That brought all the scientists and, mm-hmm. and the scientists that, that made the, the nuclear bombs, et cetera, mm-hmm. to bomb Japan with, you know, just right. bringing them over to the U.S. after or even during the war and, mm-hmm. and, and afterwards. Right. L- look at von Braun, right? The father mm-hmm. of rocket science. Yeah. I mean, that, that comes right out of the Nazi party. He was an SS member, an SS officer. Uh, responsible for for genocide, and and they just bring him right in to the development of NASA, and he becomes an American hero. I mean, that story plays itself out time and time again throughout the twentieth century. Well, I think that you know, again, that that the German siege of the Soviet Union was conscious genocide, just like you just said, and with Leningrad, Saint Petersburg, it was held from September of nineteen forty one to January nineteen forty four. And it it was not only attacked and bombed, but it was, they they did, and and by the way, you know, these countries, Poland, Finland, and all these border countries, they were complicit. They were totally part of it as well. They worked with Germany um, to, uh, and were part of the the German army. And um, they, um, they encircled, Consciously, all the supply lines to into um, into Leningrad that would bring food, that would bring um, fuel, so people had no heat, and those winters are below zero for for you know many months, and people froze to death. They they had no food whatsoever, and at the end of the siege of twenty nine months there were only 700,000 people left out of a population of 3.5 million of Leningrad. There were 700,000 people. And the only reason that they survived is that the the communist um, structure of democratic centralism really enlisted every neighborhood to become, you know, a, a fighting Soviet, a fighting... Um, resource to the army. To, they had to build defenses. They helped create food and they mixed grain, what little grain they had with uh, sawdust. And they had to eat cookies and bread made out of, you know, half sawdust. They, they, they did everything. They worked together to, to really defend this. And I think that that's the only reason that 700,000 people survived that, because it was so brutal. There would be no way that, you know, without, without organization as an individual, you could, there's no way that you could, you could survive a siege of 900 days without food and heat. And yeah, so they had to build defenses and all of these things. And then there was also the siege of Stalingrad, which again today is called Volgograd, and that um, there were 1.1 million people slaughtered by the Germans there. Um, and they included, again, countless civilian deaths from starvation, 
And that went from, I think, August 1942 to February 1943. And that the, you know, from what I've read about it, the battle was marked by fierce close quarter combat and direct assaults on civilians and air raids. The Battle of Stalingrad was the deadliest battle to take place during the Second Imperialist War and one of the bloodiest battles in the history of warfare. The city is now called Volgograd, located on the Volga River, south of Moscow, but there's a popular movement to return it to the name of Stalingrad because, and the people refer, you know, because it's known as that. And also it's called the Heroes City. Mm. And just to, just this comment that's saying the strategic importance of Stalingrad is difficult to overstate. Stalingrad was the home to major industrial and transport hubs on the Volga River. More importantly, whoever controlled Stalingrad would have access to the oil fields of the Caucasus. And that's exactly what's being fought over right now, this oil pipeline from the same Caucasus, that is in the Nord Stream, that, that is, provides 40% of the oil and natural gas of the entire world. And that uh, Germany operating on dwindling fuel supplies quickly realized this, and Hitler promptly approved the invasion of Stalingrad. On, on August 4th, the Germans launched an offensive by using the 6th Army and elements of the 4th Panzer Army. The attack was supported by intense Luftwaffe bombing that reduced much of the city to rubble. The battle degenerated into house-to-house fighting as both sides poured reinforcements into the city. By mid-November, the Germans, at great cost, had pushed the Soviet offenders, defenders back into narrow zones along the west bank of the river. On 19 November, the Red Army launched Operation Uranus, a two-pronged attack targeting the weaker Roman Romanian armies protecting Germany, Germany's sixth army flanks. The Axis flanks were overrun and the sixth army was cut off and surrounded in the Stalingrad area. Adolf Hitler was determined to hold the city at all costs and forbade the sixth army from attempting a breakout. But instead, Attempts were made to supply it by air and to break the encirclement from the outside. Heavy fighting continued for another two months. At the beginning of February 1943, the German forces in Stalingrad, having exhausted their ammunition and food, finally capitulated, making it the first of Hitler's field armies to surrender during World War II after five months, one week, and three days of fighting. So, you know, this is... This is Russia, mm. <laughs> you know, we're fierce fighters, the people are, are engaged, and um, the U.S. and the proxy forces are not going to win this very easily. Also, I just wanted to, I wanted to correct something. The, um, Russia does not produce 40% for the entire world. It produces 40% for Germany, mm-hmm. and uh, a somewhat lesser percent for Europe, and about 10% of of petroleum and natural gas for the entire world. That's a huge amount. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it comes down to the question of, of the resources. I, I think that's just so important to emphasize because from the propaganda that we get um, in the U S they would have you believing 
that the opposition to what's happening in Ukraine is is moral. You know, it's it's the moral outrage that that's driving it, and um, it's it's just so important that we see this objectively and and understand the the forces at, at work here. And you know, I've said it before; I'll say it again. I I don't think we can repeat enough how important it is that that Russia did not come to its position in the world through the same colonial process of slavery and genocide that the U.S. and Western Europe did, that it, st- it stood outside of that, and that largely it achieved its position in the modern world through the Russian Revolution. And it's that Russian Revolution, it's, it's the Bolsheviks' first blood strike against world imperialism that uh, the U.S. can never forgive it for. I, yeah, again, um, I, I just think this is a really critical, important discussion. It's something that we really have to struggle, again, as Chairman Omali Shatila describes it, through the eyes of the oppressed, through the mm-hmm. eyes of the colonized, through the eyes of the African population. And, you know, if you go on YouTube and you see the chairman talking about this, you can, you can see, you know, in the chat, just the enthusiasm from... African people, not only inside the U.S., but around the world. And as the chairman said, nobody is more um, equipped to speak about this than the African population. Right. That this is a war that African people have a direct relationship to because, because it is about the colonial mode of production fighting against uh, a country that is not the colonial, that is resisting, mm-hmm. and that is the resistance of African and oppressed peoples and all those who have not been part of the colonial mode of production um, that, that is creating this and deepening the crisis of imperialism every single day. Well, Chairwoman Penny Hess, I just want to thank you for leading us in this African internationalist uh, analysis of the situation uh, in Ukraine and th- with with Russia, with the, the U.S. and NATO assaults on Russia. And I want to thank you, Chair Jesse of the Uhuru Solidarity Movement. Thank you both for joining us today on Reparations in Action. And thank you for tuning in. We'll see you next time. You're listening to Reparations in Action. This has been an episode of Reparations in Action, the White Lies Shattered series, a biased podcast of white solidarity with black power. My name is Jamie Simpson. This episode was engineered by Marcel Marius, who also composed our theme music. The show is researched and produced by Penny Hess, Jesse Neville, and Lisa Watson from the Black Power 96.3 FM studio in St. Petersburg, Florida. A shout out to Akile Anayi and DJ Eddie Maltzby, as well as the entire Reparations in Action team, Sandra Forrest, Johan Bedingfield, Amanda Carlozzi, Kyle Weiss, Marissa Ricchetti, Ali Aiello, Alana Woods, Declan Keller, Hallie Murray, and Sarah Ritterspock. If you liked what you heard today, you can go to Apple Podcasts and rate this podcast. If you have questions, comments, suggestions, please email them to us at ria at blackpower96.org. Special thanks to the African People's Socialist Party's Chairman Omali Yeshitela, without whose leadership and theory of African internationalism, none of the understandings presented on reparations in action would be possible. Thank you for tuning in. We'll see you next week.